When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, July 12th. The 2023 Wimbledon quarterfinals are now officially in the books on today's show. I want to run you through all four of Wednesday's battles. I thought each match offered up a little something for all of us Tantanus fans to grapple onto and enjoy. Certainly, the day started off with a bang as we had a rematch of the 2022 Wimbledon Women's Singles Final. We saw that result flipped on its head as this time it was on Jabir from a set down, earning a come-from-behind three-set victory over defending champ Elena Rabakina. Now, how Jabir managed to execute her game style today in the face of the relentless power, the relentless pace, the relentless aggression. I know those three words are all adjective, power, pace, aggression. They're all synonyms, excuse me. But man, to see Jabir execute the drop shot, to see her be able to slice the ball so effectively when the ball is staying so low and coming so fast at her, Longtime listeners of this mini break podcast know while I've believed own while I've long believed, excuse me, that Onjabur certainly belongs in the WTA Tour Finals conversation, certainly has been one of the 10, 12 best players unequivocally in the women's game over the past two, three seasons. I don't know. There was something a little different about today's performance. Today felt like a signature victory for Anjabur. And I know she's made two slam finals in the last five slams played, but I don't know. Something about this win just felt a little bit different. And I want to explore that thought here on today's show. Now, again, longtime listeners of the mini break know I have long been a believer in the elite tennis capable by uh, capable of being played, excuse me, by Arena Sabalenka. Not only is she a member of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club, but she's another player who I've said repeatedly over the years, even back in 2018, 19, 2020, when the consistency of results weren't there, she played five, 10, 15 minutes in every match where you would just watch and say, yeah, that 10 minutes, that 15 minutes, it's better than anything else anyone in the women's game is capable of producing right now. And look, oftentimes those 15 minutes were followed by seven minutes of disaster, nine minutes of just a wave of unforced errors. But obviously, looking at what she's done, not just here this year, but really over the past two and a half, three years as well, Arena Sablanka just She ain't going anywhere. When she plays her best, that best tennis is as good, if not better, particularly on this grass court surface, than maybe any other player in the women's game right now. And yes, that does include Iga Svantec, who I'd still pick always on a clay court, but... Again, now I think it's a real discussion, and that is a credit to the continued development of Sabalenka. And look, Sabalenka Jabur have been maybe two of the four, five defining players. If you were to say five defining players of the 2020s, Sviantek, 
Sabalenka. I think you put Jabur in that mix. Now maybe you go Rabakina, Kenin. So, you know, again, filling out the rest of the list. Pagula, that gets a little bit trickier. But, man, I do think Sabalenka Jabur would belong in two of those top five spots. And to see them doing battle in the semifinals, boy, is that going to be a delight on Thursday. Of course, I do want to offer some preview thoughts on Thursday's women's semifinals. A reminder, Svitolina versus Von Drosova. Sabalenka, of course, taking on Jabur. The best part? About those semifinals, that's only one half of the equation, and I know I've yet to talk about the men's side, and we're going to do a deep dive, a big preview podcast for the men's semifinals tomorrow, simply put, because I think this is the best slam we've had in terms of a semifinal round of men's singles in about a decade. I would go back to the 2012 Australian Open. Longtime listeners know I think the 2012 semifinal between Murray Djokovic is the best match I've ever seen with my eyes. Now, I know many of you think it wasn't the final between Djokovic and Nadal a longer, be better quality. It wasn't. Go watch the highlights. That will be one of my takes till I die. Anyways, I know 2019 French Open, you had Federer, you had Djokovic, you had Nadal, you had Dominic Team. The top four seeds all reached the semifinals. I think this 2023 Wimbledon, to quote the kids, just hits a little differently than maybe any slam has since it was unequivocally the big four. And again, 2020, uh, 2012 Australian Open semis, just a reminder, that was Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, all relatively within the time span of the peak of their powers. Djokovic excluded because little did we know 2012 Djokovic might actually be the worst form of Novak Djokovic. And yeah, I'm kidding there, but you understand the broader point I'm making still. In this 2023 Wimbledon semifinal, to have Djokovic, unequivocally the best guy in the world. Alcaraz, unequivocally number two. Daniil Medvedev, in my opinion, I know he lost first round at the French Open, but in my opinion, unequivocally, at the very worst, the third best player in the world. And then, as you listeners know, I've been on the Onyx Center bandwagon, a believer in his game. I shouldn't say the bandwagon because that implies fandom. And I'm not, you know, again, I'm a fan of Onyx Center in the sense of I'm a fan of really good tennis. I have long foreseen future success in watching his game. I've long been a believer in what he will be capable of accomplishing on the ATP Tour. And I feel vindicated, dare I say, by this Wimbledon result to see him in the semifinals make the most of what was, again, the clearly uh, the quarter that clearly provided the biggest opportunity for him. He took care of business. I, I just think, again, we have the four best players in the world. And you look at what Sinner was able to do, Indian Wells, Miami, You know, I know he didn't have the best French Open, but Australian Open now Wimbledon. I think he's the fourth best player in the world. I think we have the top four all doing battle. And honest to God, I know seeding-wise this isn't the case, but I think it's the best versus the fourth in Djokovic and Sinner. And I think it's second versus third in Alcaraz versus Medvedev. And if you can't get amped for that as a tennis fan... I don't know what to tell you. That's as good as it gets. It's going to be such an exciting championship weekend, such an exciting home stretch to the year's third major. And of course, we will have coverage of each and every day remaining of this 2023 Wimbledon here on the Mini Break podcast feed. Again, here on today's show, I want to run you quickly through all four of the matches. Truth be told, I don't have the most expansive thoughts on these matches because I feel like we've talked about a lot of these players and yeah, we can get into some X's and O's quickly, but you know, again, it's extraordinarily impressive to see uh, the the level of play given the uncertainty we had coming into this 2023 Wimbledon in particular. And, you know, again, 
Alcaraz, Medvedev, Djokovic, Sinner, Vondrosova, Svitolina, Sabalenka, Jabur. There's something in that semifinal round for every tennis fan to enjoy. So, of course, again, here on today's show, we'll talk Wednesday results. We'll preview tomorrow's women's semifinals. Tomorrow, we'll talk about those women's semifinals and then do a deep dive. I believe David Kane will be joining me to preview our two men's semifinal matches as well. Of course, the reason we're able to do all of that is because of the support we get from all of you listeners day in, day out. We are immensely grateful you trust us here at Crack Rackets to keep you up to date on everything happening in the tennis world, not just, of course, at the ATP WTA level, but Challenger Tour. We know the U.S.-based Challenger Series rolls on into Chicago this week. A bunch of top dogs from the College Tennis Universe, Ethan Quinn and you know, Alex Mickelson, Alex Kovacevic, Stevie Johnson, Kaney Shikori, Lexi Galarno, all the guys we just saw last week in Bloomfield Hills, they're continuing to do battle as well. So, of course, perhaps later on this week, We'll offer you an update on everything that's going on in Chicago. We know it's our job to do things like that because otherwise you tennis fans won't hear about them. So again, we know and we take that responsibility very seriously to keep you the most well-informed, best-educated fans in the business. Appreciate all of you who tune in. Shout out to you. Shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal, so I'll say it quickly. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. They are the lifeblood of this show. We would not be able to record daily without their continued support. The way you can express your support for them, go buy some goods. Tennis-point.com. Shoes, clothing, rackets, you name it, they got it. Use our promo code CR15 to let them know we sent you there. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Okay, let's get into Wednesday's Wimbledon quarterfinals. I'm going to switch things up here. I know I was raised well. Ladies first. I know she's going to listen to this podcast. I apologize, Mom. Chivalry is not dead here on this show. Just every so often, you got to mix things up, right? And truth be told, I like flowing from my Wimbledon quarterfinals women's side uh, reflections to our women's semifinal preview. So I'm going to start on the men's side because I think it's a little bit I can get through these a little quicker. I think it's pretty clear what we saw throughout the course of the day. And I hate the term redlining. I just, this is the first time in my life I've felt like an old man. Like I feel generationally protective. And I know redlining is this new term. And Alex, it doesn't mean treeing. Redlining means focusing your most intently, giving maximum effort, trying to hit the ball, uh, 125% pace-wise. Again, that is the connotation of redlining versus what in my day we would call that treeing, although I know nowadays treeing implies that you're exceeding a performance that you are actually capable of. Treeing implies an out-of-body experience. Redlining uh, implies performing within yourself. I don't know if you want to say tree. I don't know if you want to say redline. I don't really care the term you use. What I'm going to say is Chris Eubanks just played freely. If you want to know what that means, go watch Eubanks in sets one, two, three, and four, where on one side of the net, you have a guy saying, I'm swinging freely. I'm going for my shots. I'm hitting the big serve. I'm hitting the big first forehand. I'm looking to move forward. I'm playing to win. That was Chris Eubanks through the first four sets of play. And on the opposite side, and what was so interesting, because I thought this matchup was so bad for Eubanks, because Medvedev is such a good returner. He is so good at dipping that first passing shot low at your feet, forcing you to pop up the second volley, and perhaps no one in the game covers the second passing shot and does more with that ball. I mean, Djokovic might do more with it, but no mortal human does more with that second passing shot 
than Daniil Medvedev. Medvedev also six foot six. That ability to hit the big first serve, in particular, hit the big first serve into that backhand of Eubanks to cause trouble for the former Georgia Tech All American. And yet, Medvedev was a little stubborn to start. Medvedev kept serving to the Eubanks forehand, especially in sets two and three. And man, did Chris make him pay! I mean, again, Chris was just swinging so freely. And 17 aces, he made 70% of his first serves. He won 73% of his first serve points. 74 winners against 55 unforced errors. 44 of 67 at the net. By the way, comparisons, real quick. 44 of 67 at the net for Eubanks. 4 of 8 for Medvedev. 74 winners for Eubanks, 52 for Medvedev, including 28 aces on the day. Here's the big number. 55 unforced errors for Chris, 13 unforced errors for Medvedev. That reflects what we saw. You know, it was Chris Eubanks on the, uh, Chris Eubanks pushing Medvedev around, Medvedev chasing whatever Eubanks threw at him. And to Medvedev's credit, I mean, again, How many times do you see and hear that old adage of you play not to lose? I can tell you from my own personal experiences, when you get tentative, when you're just trying to put the ball in play, trying to coax an error out of your opponent, if it doesn't work at my level, imagine what's happening here at Wimbledon. And man, it was a credit to Eubanks. Every forehand that Daniil Medvedev landed short, every ball that was in the center third, it was a forehand for Chris Eubanks to attack behind. And even in hitting 55 unforced errors, it was just, look, we're not playing your game. I'm not slicing and dicing with you, Medvedev. I'm not slowing things down. We're playing Mach 7. You know, we're playing top speed, zero to five shot rallies, nothing longer than that. If you pass me, too good, but I don't think you're going to be able to, on this surface, keep up with the relentless pace that I'm throwing at you. And I'm speaking from first person here from Eubanks, but I mean, Daniil Medvedev did, to his credit. And, you know, again, four breaks of serve to Eubanks is three, obviously to win the second set breaker in the fashion that he did. I thought he hit the return of serve particularly well and just dipping that ball low at the feet. It's, it's a very simple play, and shout out to John McEnroe who pointed out, I did think set three, four, in particular set number four and five, Medvedev took probably a full step closer to the baseline to cut off the out wide angle, which Eubanks was hitting so well through the first three sets to set up his plus one forehand. Again, though, Medvedev stayed the course. He stayed steady. The two big numbers, 28 aces, 13 unforced errors. I venture, I I challenge all of you in tennis, go find someone not named John Isner and even then who hit more aces than unforced errors in a single match. It just doesn't happen very frequently. Medvedev was the more complete player. Medvedev could do more things. Medvedev stayed the course. He advances to the semifinals. You look for Daniil, first Wimbledon semifinal, but now 46-8. and Overall in the year, he's winning 85% of his matches. The hold percentage is at 84.1, which is actually lower than his career average and where he's been over the past few seasons. But, man, the break percentage is at a new career high, 33.8%, which, by the way, is a higher number than, you know, a prime Djokovic, a prime Nadal. I'm not saying he is better than them at his returners, but, man, does he see that ball like a grapefruit. And, uh, I mean, again, his ability to dip the backhand return low at the feet to prevent the serve and volley from Eubanks or the easy serve and volley. It's what ultimately allowed him to pull away in that fifth set. And, you know, again, 46 and eight for a guy who had a really bad by his stand. It's hilarious looking back that his month of January, he went five and two. His two losses were to Djokovic and Korda. And like, 
you know, again, the framework at the time is, oh, it's a disaster for Medvedev. And it, it, and it was, given how much he struggled August through November relative to his usual hardcourt results last season. But, I mean, again, 5-2 and two to start the year, 41-6 and six since. I've said it before. Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, they're the only players who sniffed in the men's game a 90% win percentage for a full duration of a season. You get to 85% through two-thirds of the year, as Medvedev is. I know he doesn't have the slam title to his resume, but two Masters titles in Miami, in Rome, plus he has that Indian Wells final. Again, he doesn't have the slam results, so it's hard to say it's an Edberg-type season. It's hard to say it's, you know, again, the Becker-type season, the Sampras-type season, the Agassi-type season. And again, I'm the historian. I'm telling you. 85% 85% is elite of elite company for a single season. Particularly, he ain't doing this at the 250s. He's not vulturing points, as the kids like to say. No, Masters, he's getting finals, titles, you know, semifinal here at Wimbledon. I know he lost first round Roland Garros. I know he lost third round uh, at the Australian Open. Now he's got a Wimbledon semifinal, you know, again, with Toronto, Canada, Paris, ATP Tour Finals, and then, of course, the U.S. Open, which will be the massive event for Daniil Medvedev. I said it to start the show, unequivocally. One of the three best players in the world, and shows that once again with the five-set victory. And look, what is there left to say about Chris Eubanks that hasn't already been violently tweeted out by someone on social media? And I say that in the best way possible. All the respect, all the credit, all the the props, all the, what do the kids call it? You get your flowers. He's gotten his flowers, deservedly so. I mean, Eubanks, 59 and 29 over his last 52 weeks. He's won two-thirds of his matches for a year now, over 78 matches. And, you know, again, 34 and 17, again, two-thirds rule. He is winning two-thirds of his matches. It's why, after this week, he is now up to a new career high in the live rankings. Chris Eubanks, number 31 in the world at 27. You just don't see meteoric rises like that as frequently, uh, frequently if ever. And again, couldn't happen to a nicer guy. So well-deserved. Um, and it's and the best is yet to come. Again, now he does have some serious points. People are like, oh, he's got nothing to defend the rest of the season. That's not true. Now, it's a lot of challenger points. But keep in mind, he went final, final, semifinals, in three challenger events, October to November last year, made another semifinal, quarterfinal, uh, at uh, two quarterfinals and another semifinal at the challenger level to defend. So what is that? That's two quarterfinals, two semifinals, two finals at the challengers to defend, a second round appearance at the U.S. Open. He qualified in San Diego. He won a match at the City Open. That's not a non-significant amount of points, but he will be top 100 no matter what at the end of this season. And again, He's playing for keeps now. You're getting into Cincy. You're getting into D.C. You're getting into everything uh, that you want. And it's remarkably impressive. Uh, again, the serve is real. The confidence is real. He said it all. So just go watch the press conferences. Who's going to be better at analyzing the progress Chris has made than Chris? And again, what makes him so exceptional is how candid he is, how intelligent, how charismatic. Be a good human, and good things can happen. It's a testament to the fact that karma is real. It's a testament to the fact that Chris Eubanks is just legitimately a good human being. And he's a hell of a tennis player as well, into the top 40, into a slam quarterfinal, life-changing money, life-changing result, life-changing month 
for Chris Eubanks. And again, could not happen to a better person. That said, it is Daniil Medvedev who advances to the semifinals. And I saw a tweet. Oh, you know what? I'm going to save that actually. I was going to go on a tangent. Never mind. Saving that for David Kane tomorrow. In the meantime, let's move over to our next match. And I'm going to do this one much more quickly. It was straight sets. And, you know, again, simply put, I don't. The quality of playing set number one was laughably excellent in what was a 7 6 6 4 6 4 victory for world number one Carlos Alcaraz. Look. I don't know what to say. Like, 67 and 12 over his last 52 weeks. It's an 85% win percentage. That not good enough for you? Fine. Guess his record this year. He's played 49 total matches this season. I'm going to give you all three seconds. One 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000. He's 45 and four. Let me say that again. 45 and four. 92% win percentage this season. This kid just turned 20 years old, and he's ripping off an over 90% win percentage. F*** me. Like, I don't know what else to say. That's as good as it gets. This, and I guess when I look at this match, you look for Alcaraz, who won 79% of his first serve points. He dropped just 22 points on serve in the entire match, and that's in what? Five, 16 service games. He dropped 22 points on serve, 35 winners, 13 unforced errors, 25 of 32 at the net. The kid's amazing. <laughs> like, I don't know how else to say it. it. He is as good as any 19-year-old I have ever seen, and I include Rafa in that conversation. Now, Rafa on clay may have been a singularly more dominant force already than Alcaraz is on any surface right now, but how well... I mean, his servant, his forehand, like, there was a moment where Holger Runa looked at the box as if to say, do you guys want to just pick which way I lean? Because it doesn't matter what I'm doing with this return of serve, sort of lacing a backhand early on the rise. And by the way, that's what Runa did in the first set. He had 5-all love 30 in Alcaraz's first ser- uh, service game in that first set. But <sighs> whether it was the backhand up the line return on set point for the winner, whether it was the backhand up the line return to break for 5-4 in the second set, that ability to take that return early on the rise on top of the dominance of his serve plus one forehand combination, 45-4. and four. I, like, I cannot emphasize, it is July 12th, and he's 45-4. and four. He doesn't have a slam title yet this season. I know he's only played the one slam, but we're on history watch. We are. And, man, if Alcaraz wins this Wimbledon, if he wins a U.S. Open, just gets another slam under his belt. I know he just turned 20, but we got to have the conversation of who is the best player ever under the age of 21 on the men's side, because the best player ever under the age of 21 is Monica Seles. That's not a conversation. That's not a debate. That's just a fact. You will never convince me ever that we have had a better player who has accomplished more before the age of 21 than Monica Seles. And I don't think we ever will have a player who has accomplished more than Monica Seles. I also think Martina Hingis would like a cup of coffee in that conversation. But on the men's side, I know we have Nadal. I know we have Borg. You know I am not prone to... I, I'm prone to hyperbole in adjectives. I'm not prone to hyperbole in historical c- comparisons. Again, we're not there yet. Got to see the slam title just for this. It can be an all-time. It can be an exceptional season. It's probably not an all-time season unless he captures a slam title. I'm just realistic. 
I don't have much tennis to analyze right now. We'll talk about it when we preview Alcaraz Medvedev because, God, the serve, the forehand, they are singularly do- – it's a singularly dominant force, a singularly dominant combination. And it's the athleticism, it's the fight, it's the tenacity. I just – I don't know how you watch Carlos Alcaraz as a tennis fan and do anything but smile. I don't know how you watch Carlos Alcaraz as a sporting fan and do anything but smile. That's why Jimmy Butler, the Miami Heat superstar, is there whenever possible watching him. It's why we've seen LeClerc and – Russell and Piash uh, and Gasly and you know all these F1 drivers who yes were in Silverstone for the most recent race. Oh, you think I'm not following F1? Jokes on you. But yeah, I mean uh, this kid, man. I just you know what when you see it, and I know it's just it's special. It really is. So buckle in. Hopefully, we get another decade and a half of it. On the Runa side, I mean, I mentioned the 45 and four for Alcaraz. Runa's 37 and 13. And let's be clear. Guy's what? Seven days older than Carlos Alcaraz. There's, a, as I talked about DK, a lot of Murray Djokovic vibes there. 37 and 13. He's gone fourth round Australian Open, lost to Rublev. Quarterfinals Roland Garros, lost to Rude. Quarterfinals Wimbledon, lost to Alcaraz. Just turned 20 years old. He's made second week at all three majors. He made the Rome Masters final. He made the Monte Carlo Masters final. He he is checking off everybody. Like, again, he's top 20 in both hold and break percentage. I He's tier one. I don't know how else to say it. I don't know if we had the formal ceremony of elevating Holgaruna into tier one status. I will be shocked. As good as Alcaraz is, I will still be shocked if Holgaruna ends his career without a slam title. The guy's that good. He's that skilled. He's that talented. Yeah, he went away a little bit mentally at the end. I know he was having some physical issues. He played physical matches the prior two rounds against Dimitrov, against Davidovich, Fokina. But considering he had played fewer than 20 matches on grass courts coming into this, semifinals Queens Club, quarterfinals Wimbledon, you're just where you want to be. If you're Holger Runa, with that said, that's where things are on the men's side. And I feel like we hadn't done a big men's deep dive in a while, so wanted to spend a little bit more time there. I am going to go a little bit quicker now through these women's results because, again, they will be the focus of our show tomorrow. We will have David Kane back on the show to discuss our women's semifinals, which, again, Jabir versus Sabalenka, Svitolina versus Vondrosova. For on Jabir, how did we get here? Well, you look for Jabir 6'7, 6'4, 6'1. I don't think either player served particularly well. Jabir, 54% first serve percentage. Rapakina, 57%. But, man, was Jabir just aggressive today. And go watch the forehand chip slices she hit to uh, in the game where she ultimately secured the final break to take that 6-4 second set. I mean, Rabakina was throwing heat at her and still just, again, returns on the rise, down the line, particularly that backhand on the rise, down the line return on the ad side. I thought that was the best return we saw in the match out of either player throughout the course of the day. And, you know, again, 35 winners against 18 unforced errors. The drop shot to just force Rabakina moving forward to not allow her to have her feet set, to not allow her to fully turn and get her full momentum into a ground stroke. It was a double dose of owns. I don't know how else to say it. And, you know, again, for Jabir, just to quickly contextualize, 21-9 and nine now after coming back from injury earlier this season. Uh, and I, I tweeted this stat out, so I apologize for repeating myself. But it's just worth noting, for on Jabir, uh, 2012 through 2019, 6-12 and 12 overall at, in the main draws at slams, 
zero round of 16 appearances. Again, 2012 to 2019, zero round of 16 appearances, 6-12 and 12 overall in main draw slam matches. Since the start of 2020, Jabir 42-12. and 12. That is a 78% win percentage. 42-12 and 12 in main draw and slam matches. She's reached the second week or further in eight of the 13 main draws that she's played at the slam. She's now reached her third slam semifinal in those last 13. She did it all after turning 25. You know, again, she would turn 26 in the 2020 season. Between her, Pagula, just you just don't see late career developments like that. We've seen players go from decent to good, maybe even good from very good. But to make this sort of jump, it just doesn't happen very frequently. And again, the her ability to just absorb the pace that Rabakina threw at her. I couldn't believe it, man. And look, I'm not concerned for Elena Rabakina, who now overall in the year 37 and 9, she's won a casual 80% of her matches. This is the third, just the third time this season she's lost a match that wasn't in a tournament final. She reached number three in the world and this year, and that was without any Wimbledon points from last season. So again, these quarterfinal points are actually points added to her resume and somehow does go about narrowing the gap between her and the top two of Sabalenka and Sviantec, at least from a rankings point perspective. Ons sliced it, like Ons just, it was the drop shots. It was, Ons was particularly well suited on this day to make Rabakina uncomfortable. Now on a hard court, when she has her feet under her, when it's a little bit easier for her to move forward, I don't know if, if Jabir's game style will be as effective on that surface against Rabakina in particular as it was on this. Rabakina didn't serve particularly well was a little too hit or miss on the return of serve, which again can be one of her Achilles heels is just not putting the ball in play as much as she should because when that ball does go and play on the return, typically it's a plus one winner off of her record or a plus one advantageous shot. But look, you're not hitting the panic meter at all if you're Team Rabakina. And if you're on Jabur, I really do think this is a signature win. I mentioned that 42-12 and th- uh, 12 record for her at the majors. Uh, since the start of 2020, you look at the best wins. Even on her way to the Wimbledon final last season, she beat one seed in Elisa Mertens. Last year at the U.S. Open, she beat Garcia, Kudermatova, and Rogers, but no top 10 seeds. She beat Iga at Wimbledon back in 2021, but that was before Iga was really Iga! Exclamation point, Iga! This is the best win of her career at a major. I think this is the first signature victory to beat the defending champ in the quarterfinals from a set down. Not the first signature victory because she's a 1,000-level champion, but this is the signature victory at the slams. And I just think it's a... You can no longer doubt that Jabir is just... She's top eight. She is in the mix. You got to be good to beat her. And even if you are, she can have days like today where she was just stunning. And so Jabir into the semifinals where now she will face Arena Sabalenka. And I mean, what's left to say about Sabalenka that we haven't said over the past three years? That she can play breathtaking tennis, that her winners are better than uh, and bigger and more powerful than anyone else's on, in, on tour right now. That the moment she broke Madison Keys in that opening game of the match to do it with the inside-out backhand slice, which you saw the smile on her face as she looked at her box after that opening break. Not even she thought that ball was going in, but, you know, again, to quote... Beyonce, Nicki Minaj, the song. I know I debated it with David Kane yesterday. She's feeling herself. That's just how it works. And 
I mean, I mentioned that 42 and 12 record for Anjabur at the Slams. Uh, for Sabalenka since the start of 2020, 45 and 11. Now, obviously, it's hilarious. They both played 13. Um, you have the one slam title, so that's why it's 11, not 12 for Sabalenka. But 45 and 11. She also has made the uh, round four or further, so the second week at eight of the 13 majors that she's played. She's made, uh, excuse me, uh, quarterfinals. I believe she's now 6-0, is it, in her quarterfinal matches or 7-0 or something? I saw the stat coming up and the fact that Chris Everett won her first 48 quarterfinals, which, spoiler alert, we don't talk about enough. But, I mean, 45-11, and 11, she's won 80% of her matches at the majors over the course of three and a half years or 13 majors, so three-plus years. I mean, must I go on? Like, her pace, Madison Keys was great. And when Madison Keys took that 4-2 lead in the second set, I thought to myself, hmm, pace first pace. This is why we let Madison Keys hang out at Serena Williams Power Country Club. But then something just switched in the mind of Arena Sabalenka. And she won those final four games in about 16 minutes. And just, you know, again, they saw her rolling, rolling. And then she was rolling towards another Wimbledon semifinal. And it's just... It's the disruption. It's that when she's on her terms, you're on your back foot. And the name of the game is play at your own pace. The name of the game is play at your own speed. Play on, uh, you know, again, play on your terms. And she just did that so unequivocally well. Now Sapolenka, 40-7 and seven overall on the year. That's an 85% win percentage. She also already has a slam title. And so, again, she gets another one here. Now we do have to start talking pantheon of all-time seasons here in the 21st century. I'm not saying it's an all-timer like a sell a season, a graph. That's the problem is the all-time season in women's tennis, the bar is just set so high with the Celises and the Navratilovas, the Everett's, the Graphs, the Serenas, of course. Don't you dare think I forgot Serena for a moment. You know, even Iga 2022, which she was able to do last season, capturing two slam titles and ripping off a 37-match win streak. I don't know if Sabalenka's quite in that tier yet this season, but she gets another slam title here at Wimbledon. We see how she does. Cincinnati, Canada, U.S. Open, much like the GOAT race. She's not eliminated yet from all-time season status, and to say that when we're in the semifinals of Wimbledon, it speaks to the year that she's had. And by the way, pretty good year for Madison Keys as well. 25-9 and nine overall. You know, Wimbledon quarterfinals, Dubai quarterfinals, Charleston quarterfinals. Madison Keys currently sitting at 15 in the live rankings. She's currently sitting at 14th in the points race. 28 years old, that's solid. It's not too shabby uh, for the American, but again, she was good. Sabalenka was just great. And so it will be Sabalenka advancing to the semifinals. And again, according to Tennis Abstract, Arena Sabalenka, just a 50.8% favorite over on Shabur tomorrow. Now, they are both the overwhelming favorites to capture the title, which is fascinating to me. You look at the career head-to-head, yes, uh, as they have been two of the marquee players of this post-2020 era, I suppose, of the WTA Tour. It is worth noting that, you know, Jabur, Sabalenka, they have played a few times in their career. And you look at the career head-to-head, Arena Sabalenka 3-1 overall actually beat her in the Wimbledon quarterfinals 4 and 3 back in 2021 that's the only other time they've played on grass courts prior to tomorrow Sablanka's won the last 3 she won last year in Fort Worth 7-5 in the third 
I mean, in fairness, Jabir did just see a power player. Jabir knows ex- it's the same game plan for on Jabir tomorrow as it was today. I just don't know if you can keep that up twice against the relentless pace, against the relentless weaponry that someone like Sabalenka or Rabakina or a Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club member brings towards you. So, yeah, I'm going Sabalenka. I think she wins it in straight sets. Obviously, they're friends. It will be a fun match, if nothing else. But, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take Sabalenka in straights. And then... Look, Vondrosova and Svitolina have played a bunch of times as well. There's a, you know, three, four-year age difference between the two, but this is going to be their sixth head-to-head matchup. First on grass, 3-2 career advantage to Svitolina, though for what it's worth, Vondrosova's won the last two, 2020 in Rome, 2021. She beat Svitolina, of course, in the Olympic semifinals. Let's get physical. Let's have fun. And, I mean, to see how freely Svitolina played against Sviantec... I don't know how you pick against her at this point, but look, you know I'm the biggest Vondros of a believer out there. I'm going to pick the Druce. I think this match goes three sets. I just think the to- I think Vondrosova will be better at absorbing the pace of Svitolina, absorbing and redirecting the baseline aggression. Then Svitolina will be prepared to deal with the angles, to deal with just the variety that Svitolina throws at her and... You know, again, I think Vondrosova forehand to Svitolina backhand. That Svitolina backhand's exceptional, but I think Vondrosova's kind of ready uh, in that exchange. I also think she has the backhand to handle the renewed and exceptional pace forehand to backhand exchanges that come with the lefty-righty pairing. I like the serve of Vondrosova a little bit better. I just think she can do more things to hurt Svitolina than vice versa, but I think this match goes three sets. I think it's going to be immensely physical. I think it's going to be really fun as well. And so, again, buckle the seatbelts. It's going to be a really good day of tennis at Wimbledon. According to Tennis Abstract, these are both 50-50 matches. Svitolina, 53.9% favorite. Sabalenka, 50.8% favorite. So, we are looking forward to coming back tomorrow after we get to watch tomorrow's women's semifinal matches unfold, of course. We hope all of you... We'll continue to tune in here as well as we cover each and every angle of this 2023 Wimbledon. If you've missed out on anything, you can catch up on it all here on the Mini Break Podcast feed. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an any job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out as well to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point, tennis point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point. From all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. Talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.